Clancy Pasta presents, I went to camp to escape bullying. I was lucky to get out alive. Written by Sapphire Lion 15. I've been wondering for a long time if I should tell this story or not. On one hand, I don't think anyone will believe me. On the other, someone might. But now, seeing as we're all locked in our homes with nothing but the internet for entertainment, I guess now's the time. Few people look back at the seventh grade fondly. I certainly don't. I developed a little faster than the other girls did. My guidance counselor told me that my body was beautiful and that they were just jealous. When there are posts all over social media calling you a prostitute and other nicknames, that's not much comfort. My parents did all they could, and they helped me make it until the end of the school year. As soon as the last day was over, they told me to pack my bags. I was getting a fresh start. While all of this was going on, my dads had been researching summer camps. They wanted me to have a fun summer away from the kids who lived in our neighborhood, aka the ones making those posts about me. By that May, they had found one. Camp Rabbit Run. Low cost, great reviews, nice kids, and all of it right next to a beautiful lake and 23-acre forest. I got the last spot. My dads did all they could to hide me up for the trip. Dad got me a disposable camera, Poppy got me a new swimsuit, etc. But I wasn't that excited. All of the bullying at school had really hurt my self-esteem. Why were they sending me somewhere just so new kids could make fun of me? I stayed this way until the day we drove to the bus stop. From there, I would board the bus and go to the camp. As soon as I got on board, I met a nice girl named Andy, name change for privacy, and her twin brother, Sam. Again, not his real name. We talked the whole way to camp. We all liked comic books, Cartoon Network, Sour Candy, Miley Cyrus, it was 2007, don't judge me, and hated math, so we got along great. When the bus pulled into the camp, I felt bad for giving my dad so much crap. The place was beautiful. I mean, paradise-level beautiful. The lake was sparkling, the trees were huge and leafy, and there was nothing but green everywhere you looked. On top of that, they had a swimming pool, an archery range, a soccer field, a baseball court, and a mess hall bigger than my house. With my new friends there, I was starting to think that I would have fun that summer. Then came Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy wasn't actually her name. It was a nickname we gave her that first night at camp. After dinner, we all gathered around a campfire to tell scary stories. We kids sat on benches around the fire, while the counselors got kitchen chairs. Poison Ivy complained that she got, you guessed it, Poison Ivy on the back of her legs, and kept whining until our counselor, we'll call her Ruth, gave up her seat. Andy caught her smirking as Ruth sat down. We hadn't spoken, but I already knew that Poison Ivy had become my mortal enemy. Camp lasted that year from June 1st to July 7th. During those weeks, there was a war going on. My friends and I versus Poison Ivy and her equally toxic allies. We drove our poor counselors crazy with the amount of pranks we pulled on one another. For example, one night Andy and I snuck into their cabin and poured sugar into Ivy's shoes. When she put them on the next morning, they were full of bugs. She got back at us by stealing Andy's water bottle, smearing the mouthpiece with rubbing alcohol from the crafts table, and telling Ruth that Andy and I had been drinking. 
We were saved by another camper, saying he'd seen Ivy stealing from the crafts table. Had it just stayed that way, then maybe the summer could have ended better. But one night, after dinner, one kid decided to tell us what he called a real ghost story. For most of camp, the scary stories we'd been telling were the stories everyone's heard a million times. The babysitter and the call coming from inside the house, the dude with a hook on his hand, the killer hiding in the back seat, etc. Still scary, sure, but no one had lost any sleep over them. The head counselor, who we'll call Jennifer, looked at him suspiciously, but passed him the flashlight. The kid, who we'll call Glenn, said that his dad had been a forest ranger back before the camp first opened. Back then, there was a little old woman who lived in these woods. She had a tiny little cabin, and she thought she owned the woods, so she refused to leave. What's more, she refused to let developers build the camp. The rangers, including my dad, tried everything to get her to leave. She wouldn't even open the door for them when they knocked. All she ever did was play creepy old-timey music on a huge old piano. Well, one day the developers got a court order. The old lady had no choice but to leave the woods or else she'd be torn down with her house. They had to bring the cops to force her out. My dad told me that, as the officers dragged her away, they started to swing the wrecking ball to destroy the chain. In a fit of rage, she broke away from the cops, ran into her house, and slammed the door shut. It was too late to stop the wrecking ball. It destroyed the cabin with her inside. The cops searched the wreckage for weeks, but they never found her body. Out of respect for the old woman, they built the camp on the other side of the lake and left the wreckage untouched. But on quiet nights, when the moon is full, the house will appear just like it did all those years ago, and you can still hear her playing the piano. We were all silent. It wasn't the scariest story ever, but it was pretty unsettling. We didn't say goodnight like we usually did after the scary stories. We all just went to bed. Andy and I were, unfortunately, bunkmates with Poison Ivy. You should have seen your faces. Only wise, mature adults like me would know enough to not be afraid of a silly little story. She screamed as she was grabbed from behind. Her fear turned to fury slash embarrassment and she realized that we were laughing. The mature and wise Ivy hadn't seen Sam sneaking up on her. What was that about not being scared? I high-fived Andy, who high-fived her brother. I wasn't scared, you bastard. You were the scared one. I saw your face during the story. You were scared to death of a little old lady and her piano. I was not. You want me to prove it? I'll go find that cabin myself. She rolled her eyes. Anyone can take a walk in the woods, come back and say that they found the cabin. I'm going with you, and to prove that we both went, you have to bring back something from the cabin. Sam considered it for a moment, and he looked at them in disbelief. Were they really this stupid? Deal. Are you nuts? Andy went and slapped her brother's shoulder. I'm not letting you go into the woods alone at night. Neither am I, I added. That's why you two are coming too. We'll need witnesses as well as evidence, or people will think we're making it up. My stomach churned as my mind raced. What was worse, facing a ghost cabin that might exist, or be called a chicken for the rest of the summer and be teased by kids who definitely existed? I decided that the latter was worse. 
Andy, both out of loyalty and her duty as our mom friend, came along. As much as I love walking in the woods, it's incredibly restful in the daytime. That hike remains in my mind as one of the worst things I've ever done. Every shadow was a bear. Every gust of wind was a vampire bat. We didn't talk. We didn't want anyone to know that we were there. With every step, the dare was seeming like a worse and worse idea. When we finally got to the other side of the lake, we were met with a pile of rotted debris. Ivy walked over and kicked at it. So Glenn's story wasn't true. I might have imagined it, but I thought I heard a relief in her voice. Well, I said, observing the damage. He told the truth about there being a house here. See? That pile of old tiles was probably from the roof, and those bricks in a square-like pile were probably a fireplace. Congratulations. You know what houses are made of. Let's go. No one's going to want to hear about a pile of crap. We had all started to go when we heard music. I recognized it. Mozart's Piano Sonata Number 11. We all whirled around almost in sync. Right where the pile of rubble had been was a little wooden house. Smoke was coming from the chimney, lights were in the windows, and someone was pounding away on the piano. That wasn't there a second ago. Sam sounded very nervous. Andy and I held similar opinions. Ivy took one look at us and scoffed. You chickens. We obviously missed it in the dark. I'll bet the house was never torn down, they just sold it, and Glenn lied about it to scare everyone. She said it like she knew it all along. My fear was replaced with irritation and rage. There was one thing I couldn't stand, it was a know-it-all. I followed her to the door with Andy and Sam right behind me. The music was getting louder as we approached. By the time we were at the doorstep, it was like we were standing next to a stadium speaker. How on earth could anyone play that loud? Ivy knocked on the door, and the music just stopped. There was no lingering note, no sound of someone getting up, just silence. We all looked at each other. We didn't know what to do. But Ivy opened the door. It wasn't locked. It hadn't even been closed all of the way. The house smelled like a museum, musty, old. Mold grew in abundance all over the walls, and cobwebs hung like party decorations. A layer of dust covered everything, except for a piano. We all approached it slowly. It looked brand new. I heard a click and saw Ivy pulling a pen knife out of her pocket. What the hell are you doing? We need evidence or no one will believe us. I'm just going to take one key. She put her hand on the cover over the keys. That was when the crap hit the fan. The cover flew open. She jerked her hand back just in time to save it from being crushed. A skeletal hand shot out from the cover and snagged her bare wrist. The piano started playing crazily, like it was playing six songs all at once. Ivy screamed, and the hand started to pull her into the piano. We were frozen, too terrified to move. Then the front door flew open with a startling slam. 
A raspy, infuriated voice screamed from the piano. You three, out. Never come back, or you'll end up with this little lady. We didn't dare disobey. When a ghost tells you to get out of its house, you do it. We heard a sickening crunching sound as we ran from the house. We heard all too well as Ivy's screams got louder. They seemed to chase us back to camp. Jennifer heard us running back to camp, sobbing. We told her our story. She thought we'd lost it, but she called the cops. Once we'd all calmed down, we agreed to tell the truth. We'd made a dare and something bad happened in the woods. Camp ended early, and we all packed up the next morning and waited for the bus. We watched as the cops and a few counselors split into search parties. They never found her. Ivy remains a missing person to this day. I know what happened, and I've never been the same. Somehow the story got leaked to the news. The official-slash-unofficial story is that we had gone into the woods at night and gotten attacked by a child killer, with only Sam, Andy, and I escaping. The bullying in my neighborhood stopped. Anyone tough enough to face a murderer and walk away without a scratch probably didn't want to be messed with. My dad's trying to be supportive, but there isn't exactly a guidebook for this sort of thing. I started going to therapy twice a week. I'm okay now. Mostly. Years passed. I grew up. I went to college. I met a nice man. I got married, and we adopted a son. When we bought our first house, we ended up buying one in a development that was built right across from where the camp used to be. It's now a nature preserve. It has a real name, but I still call it Rabbit Run. I can't help but wonder sometimes if the events of that night are all in my head and that I'm just covering up something else. I want to trust myself, but it's hard. I don't know what to believe. But every now and then, on quiet nights, I hear a faint sound coming from Rabbit Run. It sounds like a piano. Internet privacy is becoming more and more important these days, and using a VPN in general is the best way to ensure you've got it. And ExpressVPN has everything you'd ever want and need in a VPN, and more. I've tried other VPNs, but once I started using Express months ago, I've never looked back. ExpressVPN works on nearly every computer, tablet, and mobile device, and contains a huge network of servers, over 3,000 spanning 94 countries, with great speeds. You can use it to unblock popular online services like Netflix and Facebook, and they value your privacy more than anything. There are no activity or connection logs, and they use PWC audited servers to confirm compliance with their privacy policy. They are just fantastic, and I could not be more happy to be partnered with them. So if you are interested in trying it out, you can go to expressvpn.com slash clancypasta, or click the link in the description for three months free when you order a 12-month subscription. Using my link, you get an awesome deal, and it helps me out a ton as well. Alright, so without further ado, here's the episode. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed tonight's story. If you did, make sure to check out more of the author's work in the episode description, and go to youtube.com slash clancypasta to hear new episodes first. 
And if you'd like your story featured in an episode, feel free to email it to clancypastastories at gmail.com. You can always get your creepy cool merch at teespring.com slash stores slash clancypasta store. And I hope you all have a great night. Cheers. <laughs>